Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. Welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa. And I am genuinely, I mean it, I know I say it all the time when we start an episode of RIA Edge that I'm excited to introduce our guest here today, but uh, I, I really, truly mean it. Megan Carpenter, founder and CEO of FICOM Partners. Thank you so much for being here. I cannot believe that this is actually the first podcast that we'll do together. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. I can't believe that either. I think you and I have known each other for almost a decade, and I've always felt privileged to work so closely with you. So this is a milestone moment for us. Really amazing. I think we've done a lot of live and in-person uh, events together, but this will be the first time that you and I actually get to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation about you know, a topic that is really important to all of the listeners to RAA Edge and all of the the wealthmanagement.com audience, and that's organic growth. Um, as the listeners here know, RA Edge is focused on one thing, and that's growth. We've talked about M&A quite a bit over the last year to two years. It's been one of the dominant themes reshaping the RIA landscape. But organic growth is not as easy to see, right? Um, it's not exactly headline grabbing or newsworthy, but it is the lifeline of some of the most successful and the fastest growing firms in the industry. And I know you're working with a number of RIAs. You have been one of the top marketing and organic growth experts in our field. Before we get into some of your suggestions, recommendations, and best practices for how our listeners can create meaningful, sustainable organic growth. Megan, if you wouldn't mind for you know, those listeners that are not familiar with you and FICOM, can you just give a little bit of background on what FICOM does and the types of firms that you work with, please? Oh, sure. Thank you for that opportunity. So at FICOM, we're an integrated marketing and PR firm. And our uh, sort of passion, like why we do what we do is we really are looking to help to humanize the wealth management industry so that the wealth management industry can transform the impact of their work and, and serve more people. Uh, but we do that through the lens of marketing and PR. And so we help our clients to really think through what are our business goals for growth and then how can marketing and PR specifically help to drive towards those business goals for growth. And so we do that in three different ways. We have three different service offerings, which I won't go into detail on, but I will say that we work with large national RIAs and wealth management platforms. We also work with uh, financial institutions that sort of uh, have a service or product for the wealth management community. And then we also work with individual financial advisors. So we work with businesses across the independent wealth management space of all different shapes and sizes. The commonality is that the businesses that we serve are committed to driving and accelerating greater organic growth and doing so in a way that like sort of brings this new school mindset, which the way that we define new school is bringing vulnerability and authenticity in a really human first and heart centered approach to how you build a brand and how you show up in front of your external audiences. Um, so any business out there that's in the wealth management space that's looking to accelerate growth through the lens of marketing and PR um, and willing to sort of 
take a new school approach to it. Those are the types of clients that we're super proud to serve. Perfect. And that makes you one of the best people in our industry to talk about our topic here today, which is organic growth. Um, now, before I fire a couple of questions at you, I do just want to level set. And I think you know, the term organic growth is one that gets thrown around a lot. What does it actually mean? Like, what are we talking about when we say organic growth? And in my mind, it's net new assets that you're adding that can come directly from you know, deepening relationships with your existing clients or you know, by adding and acquiring new clients. Um, and in a market like the one that we're in now, and we've been in for the last you know six to 12 months um, or more, where, where there's low to no growth coming from the equity markets, uh, really challenging for market appreciation to increase your assets under management the way it did for essentially 10 years before, organic growth becomes that much more important. Um, and we don't talk about it enough, but we know that most firms are losing four or 5% of their assets in a given year from clients that are you know, retiring, taking distributions or clients that are moving on, right? So that just makes the hurdle rate and the need for driving real, you know, sustainable organic growth that much more important for a firm to be successful right now. Um, so with that, Megan, when you look at the firms that are having the most success in our industry at creating meaningful and consistent organic growth, how would you describe their mindset first and foremost? And then how do the leaders of these firms make sure that this trickles down to all of their employees? I'm glad that you sort of set the stage for how are we going to define organic growth? Because I think that's it, that's it's an important consideration when RA firm, advisory firm leaders are sort of looking ahead and saying, what are my plans for the next three to five years? And where am I, where am I going to achieve that growth? Um, I think what we're seeing from a mindset perspective is a few things. First, the, the firms that are doing it the most successfully view marketing as a core component of their business plan. It's no longer just seen as you know, a line item afterthought on the PL or, you know, something that I have to do, but I don't really want to do and I don't really know how to do it. Like this, the most successful firms today are viewing marketing as one of the core components of their overall business strategy and they're integrating it across their business strategy. So it's not sort of this standalone, weird, nebulous thing. It's like very much core to their business. So I would say that's the first part of the mindset. I think the 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 other mindset that we're seeing that we're really excited about at FICOM is this mindset of how can I get really clear on my vision and values as a business owner in a way that's going to create positive change for me, for my colleagues, uh, of course, for my clients, for my prospects and everyone else in my community. And so I think that the mindset around not trying to be all things to all people, but getting really clear on your vision, your values, who you want to serve and staying disciplined sort of in that pocket is it's a really important mindset shift that we're seeing the most successful firms uh, sort of, you know, dominate today. And then how it trickles down across the organization. I think that that's such an interesting sort of component of this question, which is, when you're a founder of a business or a leader of a business, maybe you're one of multiple founding partners or you're a senior advisor at a firm, oftentimes those advisors are very comfortable being rainmakers. They're just very comfortable with understanding how to go out, build influence in a community and to use the community to their benefit to make new connections and bring new people into the firm. Like that rainmaking and sort of what we would call like the G1, you know, advisors across the country, it's just very inherent to them. 
And when you think about the G2s and G3s at these firms and, you know, um, anyone that might be new coming into the business, how do you translate that rainmaking approach to to building a business and it's not necessarily as inherent or as natural for the the following generations. And so I think one of the things that we've seen successful firms do as far as the trickle down go is to really allow the next layer of whether it's next layer of executives, next layer of like an extended leadership team or the next layer of advisors all the way down to entry level positions, like really involving them in how can you help us build, build our brand and how can you do so in a way that feels really good to you? So maybe if I'm the founding advisor at the firm and I've just always been really comfortable being the rainmaker and I'm not comfortable at all on social media, the successful, those successful founders are saying to themselves, okay, I understand that that's my comfort level, but it's not necessarily their comfort level. So how can I empower them to help me build my brand in a way that they feel really good about? Um, and so we can talk a little bit more about how to sort of dive into that, but at the, at the surface level, that's sort of the mindset. Um, and then that's the approach to involving others in the effort to drive organic growth. I think that's a great way to break it apart. Cause I know a lot of our listeners are the people who are actually running and leading RIA firms. Um, they're also managing client you know, assets and you know, putting plans together as well. Um, but as they're kind of thinking about if I'm to go back to the valley of death phrase that we use a lot, if I'm a 250 or $500 million firm that's trying to get to a billion dollars, you really do need to figure out how to scale yourself. And very appropriately, you talked about the new school, your podcast and you know the FICOM mentality at the beginning uh, of the podcast here. Um, that term rainmaker is just so old school, right? Mm -hmm. I, I tend to think of the new school really being you know, how do you successfully market, scale, and amplify, right, your brand and create awareness for your firm as if it's a real business and not just a practice that a rainmaker, right, mm. is responsible for driving 50, 60, 75% of its growth in a given year. With that dynamic, though, I have to ask the question, I think it's so basic, but it doesn't get asked enough. And I know people are sometimes embarrassed at a conference to raise their hand and ask it. You talked about rainmaking, right, which we now affectionately call business development. What is the difference between marketing and business development? So I view marketing as like everything that can be done um, externally. It's all the external touch points that a prospect, a client, or a center of influence, or anyone in your community can have with your business without you having to be directly involved. So marketing is really that halo effect of what shows up on your website, how you show up on social media, the type of content that you're creating, how you're distributing it. It's sort of all of that, those external touch points that build your brand and build the messaging for your business where you don't have to be physically present, right? So marketing sort of works without you having to be physically present. And biz dev is really like, I think it's two things. I think one, business development is, is absolutely sort of the handshake from marketing over to sales, which there has to be a lot of um, harmony between the two. They, there's quite a bit of crossover and marketing and sales have to work really closely together. Um, and at firms sort of in that 250 to 750 million AUM range, um, you're usually going to have people that are wearing all the hats at once. Mm -hmm. um, but when you think about biz dev, it's like you have to take a lead that comes in that's hopefully been pre-qualified by your marketing efforts. You have a lead who's interested and qualified to buy your services. You still have to have the human component of meeting with that prospective client and getting the paperwork signed. So 
taking them from the bottom of the funnel and converting them through the funnel is, is certainly business development from my perspective. I also think business development and to your point of Mark about like the old school rainmaker approach, like that to me, that's biz dev that's getting out in, mm -hmm. in the community, getting in a car, driving somewhere, getting on a plane, going to an event, taking someone to lunch, going to dinner, going to see a concert together, going golfing together, you're physically together with someone who could potentially be a client but they're there because you directly reached out to them and you're facilitating the relationship in person. Um, and so I think that like, that's the difference to me, you know, marketing. And, and that's why I get excited when you're talking about scalable marketing, because that's the Holy grail today. And that's the Holy grail of the future for driving enterprise value is building a repeatable, scalable marketing engine. Um, and that's all the stuff that can work in the background while you as an advisor are doing what you love to do, which is serve clients, BizDev is still very human, you know, human capital intensive, because I believe that you have to be there in person to facilitate whatever the business development outcome is that you're looking to facilitate. Yeah. I, and I think you gave one of the most succinct you know, definitions, uh, or at least you've helped delineate what the difference is between marketing and business development. I've always thought about Marketing is being you know one to many, right? And business development being you know one to one. Um, that's how my simple mind can process these things. And why is it important to make that distinction? Because that's how people think about making investments, right? Um, when they think about hiring, um, you think about do I need somebody to run or manage marketing? Um, do I need to make investments in marketing technology? Right? Do I need to hire another business developer or a business development specialist? Um, so it is important to not only understand the differences, but how the two work together and support each other. And I do want to spend some time on that because I think that's really you know, the most important part of our discussion here today is really understanding the role that marketing can play in helping to drive you know, qualified business development. Um, before we get into that, I just want to start maybe with a data point or a range to give our listeners some context. When we think about organic growth, right? And what good, healthy organic growth looks like, you know, when you look across the RAs that you work with, what is the starting point for, what's the difference between good or great right? um, in terms of you know, addition of net new assets from real organic growth in any given year? Well, it's interesting because I think what is seen today as good in the industry, it feels like uh, if I were to, you know, be an outsider looking at this industry, if you take out market growth, if you take out the market movement, our mm -hmm. growth in our industry has been flat to negative. You know, if you take out over the last 10 years where asset growth has come from, it's largely been driven by either, you know, what's been going on in the equity market or acquisitions, which is you're purchasing those assets. So um, I think that we have a fairly low point of entry to think about what's great, you know, after you sort of look at it that way. Um, I think what we're seeing at FICOM is those firms that are, I, you know, I say that I think I view them as marketing firms that also do wealth management. Like to me, those are the most successful firms yeah. out there right now. They view themselves as marketing businesses that deliver wealth management. Um, they're seeing upwards of 15 to 20% growth after mm -hmm. market. Um, yeah, and and that, purely that's, organic. that's at the apex too, right? I mean, there are very few firms that are doing that. Well, it's interesting. There are there's few, sure, um, but there's more and more, um, and they they are a, they're sort of this new breed of advisory firm that's coming up in the industry that I'm really excited about. 
you don't see them often at all of the, you know, industry events that you and I have the privilege of going to across the industry. It's, it's this newer breed of advisory firm that, like I said, they view themselves as marketing firms who also do wealth management, but you're right. It's a, it's a select group. It's growing. Um, and it, that would be like the best of the best. I think if you back off from that, and if you look at more, more generally speaking, you know, what should firms aspire to do? I think somewhere mm-hmm. in that seven to 10% range is, what any business that has and wants sustainability into the future that has goals for career path development, leadership development, succession at some point, you have to be looking, I think, at that 7 to 10% growth net of market to be able to get to where you want to go. Yeah. And I think the reality is, right, and this might be an untold story, sort of one of the sort of secrets of the RA industry that very few people really want to talk about was your opening point. Most firms, when you're looking at true organic growth over the last 10 years, most most firms have been growing low single digits, or it's even been negative in mm-hmm. some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, it it's one of the most, you know, I've done a ton of research over the years here, and it's one of the most sort of compelling data points I've ever seen is when you look at the the assets that are going out, right? We always talk about the assets that are coming in, but that hurdle rate is four to six percent in any mm-hmm. given year. Um, and you know, just to get back to where you were when the year started, right? That's what you have to bring in. They've had the good fortune of you know, the markets you know, cooperating for you know a decade or so, um, but now I think that seven to ten you know target is really it's ambitious in a lot of cases, but it's it's doable, um, and we know it because there are firms that are doing. You know, twice that um, to your point, and that's actually what I'd like to you know spend a couple of minutes on here because I know you work with a lot of firms that are doing maybe 15, 20 percent uh, in true organic growth, net new assets added in a given year. Uh, and when you look at those firms, right, um, whether you know, they're doing digital marketing or other types of marketing, the firms that have seen the most growth, what is it that they're doing correctly? Well, so just to like reiterate what we said at the top, like, first of all, they view marketing as a core component of their business strategy. Mm-hmm. They also believe, and I believe this to be true as well, that we're in a growth industry. So regardless of market volatility, we're in a growth industry. There are factually more Americans who want and need financial advice, financial planning and wealth management than advisor, than there are advisors to serve. And so I think that these these people that are doing it really well, like they know that, they see it, they feel it. And so they're investing into it. And that's another, I think, core differentiator. So you've got, they, they believe marketing is a core part of their business strategy. They believe that we're in a growth industry. And so they're investing into that growth. They're not shy about marketing budgets. They don't view it as a drag on their P&L. They view it as critical to their PL. They view it as the driver of their PL. That's the driver of their revenue. It's the driver of their profit. Um, and so that's certainly a mentality shift as well. And then I would say the the other thing, um, and there's so many things, um, but the other thing that I think is a great commonality is a very um courageous approach to a narrow focus. So getting really clear on a specific area of focus. Um, you know, in the industry, we like to call it like a niche market or an ideal client profile. That's all just jargon, right? But what we're trying to say is like you have you have a focus and you have a discipline around that focus. And and that's sort of that third piece where when you bring that all together, that's where I think the magic happens. And I say courageous because 
you know, you know me, Mark, like I've been in this industry for 20 years and I've seen all of the things and I've been asked all of the questions. And so they all sort of, you know, come together as a blur at some point, but there's always trends. And like, one of the things that I still get asked is, well, I can't narrow my focus because I don't want to alienate my existing clients. And that's where it takes courage because if you're trying to, to be all things to all people, if you're trying to be all things to all people, just within your existing book of business, you are going to immediately handicap yourself from a marketing perspective immediately. And it's going to be so hard to overcome. But if you can say, Hey, listen, I'm confident in my client relationships. I'm confident. I've got a 98% retention ratio, which is so high, but that's, I think the industry average. So I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confident in my industry relation in my relationships with my clients, 98% retention. They're not going to go anywhere just because I start I might narrow my focus. Like that's the courage. That's like, that's what it takes. And and that's what we see prove out again and again. When you think about narrowing your focus from a marketing perspective, it's about getting really clear, speaking to one person, clearly speaking to that person and letting that one person know that you are the best advisor for their specific circumstances. That's where you're going to find the most marketing success. Yeah, I think if someone is looking for a starting point, that answer gives you everything you need to know <laughs> for you know, the right state of mind, the right framework and the right focus, right? For putting a, a, a marketing plan in place that will work. Um, maybe taking it one step further, I am very curious, right? When we look at say digital marketing, um, especially over the last several years, right? When you know, a period of time, everybody was remote. Now it's a lot of hybrid work. Um, I think the role of digital marketing now is so much greater, right, than it was just two or three years ago. And I know a lot of firms have experimented, thrown a lot of things at the wall. I get asked questions about content marketing and social media all the time. Um, Is there anything when you step back and look at all the firms that you've worked with or firms that you're familiar with, is there anything that firms have been experimenting with from a digital perspective that you think has been, you know, particularly interesting, but more important, you know, particularly effective in getting the word out, getting consideration and ultimately helping to acquire new clients. Yeah. I mean, listen, we live in a digital world we have for some time now. I think to your point, the pandemic accelerated our industry's ability to show up in a digital way, really more specifically in how we meet with people. Um, And I think that 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 took down a lot of the barriers that advisors had in their mind before that about needing to be in the same room as a client. But the way that consumers engage with people, with brands, with service providers today, the consumers in the driver's seat, they have all control and the consumer is totally digital. It doesn't matter. I'm not just talking about Gen Z, right? Like boomers Mm -hmm. are digital. My parents are boomers. They are on their phone more than I am. I'm quite curious sometimes what they're doing all the time, but we all are. We're all in front of computers. We're all on smartphones. We use tablet devices. And so, you know, that's just the reality. Like this is where we are. I think that um, what advisors who are digital first in their approach that, that we see work really well is that they're thinking through the entire experience from a digital lens. So from when I first have the opportunity to be in front of somebody new through my marketing, all the way through to how am I moving that from a prospect, converting them to a client, and all the way through to how am I delivering my client experience? 
I think the firms that are most successful digitally are those that have fully built out a digital prospect and client experience end to end. Marketing plays a key role in that. And, and I believe that marketing hits both prospect and client communications. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a digital marketing specifically perspective, I think it's, you know, what we're seeing to be successful is how are you making yourself easily available on the digital channels where your ideal client lives? So whether that's YouTube, which by the way, is the second biggest search engine next to Google, or it's Facebook, or it's Instagram, or it's LinkedIn, or it's Reddit, or it's Twitter, or whatever, mm-hmm. Um it's there's really no um, there's no single platform that we're seeing outperform others from an organic perspective. I think paid is a little bit different, um, but it's really it's those firms that are most successful are those that are showing up where their ideal client lives, where they're yeah. seeking community, where they're researching information, where they're asking questions, where they're looking for validation, and being there all the time. And I think to marry that with your earlier point, right, around like your focus, if you know what they're searching for or why they might be coming to you, doesn't make it that much easier for you to be found, right? Um, And if and when they find you, for them to understand, is Megan the right person for me or is Mark? Right. I mean, ideally, the most successful digital marketers are putting out content that's hyper relevant to that ideal client that they want to speak directly to. And they're putting out a lot of like information rich content for free. So they're developing a following of people who they don't even know yet, but who are, who are reading their blogs or following their posts on social or listening to their podcasts. And I don't even, I'm the advisor and I don't even know you yet, Mark, but Mm -hmm. you're listening to my podcast and I'm providing you with the right type of information because I know what your psychographics are. I know what your pain points are. And so all of my content is going to speak directly to you. And when you have a need, you're going to self-select it. It's not because of an email campaign that I send you, or it's not because of a paid ad, paid media, you know, uh, Facebook paid ads or search engine ads. Like it's not that moment. It's your moment. It's the moment where you have a need. And because I've been providing you with valuable information, you're going to call me first. And by the way, when you do call me, Mark, you've pretty much already selected that I'm the one you want to work with because you've followed me for so long. You believe in the same worldviews. I'm already answering your questions. You feel comfortable with me because of how you've experienced a relationship with me online before we've ever met. That's the magic of digital marketing. Yeah, it really is. And it's amazing now that there is so much more trust right, than there was just four or five years ago that you can establish on digital platforms. I, just to go back to one of your earlier points, couldn't agree with you more that this is a once in a lifetime you know, market for financial advisors. We've said it when we're talking about Wealth Management Edge and RIA Edge, um, you know, our event coming up in just a few weeks is really intended to capitalize on what we think is a bull market for financial advice. Um, I, I think the need for professional financial advice is at an all-time high. I think someone's ability to access an advisor, regardless of where he or she may be, right, is as good as it's ever been. 
Um, so when I say it time and time again, you know, that it's a once in a lifetime growth opportunity for financial advisors, yeah, you know, I really mean it, but it's even more true for those who want to take advantage of it. You have to have that growth mindset mm. and you have to have you know, the right intentions. You have to want to grow in the right way. A lot of what we've been talking about mm -hmm. here. Um, and I think you've mapped out you know, the most important points here, which is just a framework. Um, you know, everybody can't do everything. That is for sure. Um, and when I look at all of the different options that advisors and RIA firms have now, to market themselves. Um, it can be a little bit overwhelming. Um, as we you know, wrap up here, Megan, I'm curious, are there any resources? Are there any you know, firms or individuals out there? Obviously, FICOM specializes in this, but if I'm an advisor and I'm trying to figure out not just where to start and how to think about marketing, but you know, what is the right channel for me? Should I be doing a podcast? Right? I think about, I just saw the other day, dude with a sign who everybody knows is holding <laughs> up a sign that says, yeah, you know, who listens to all these podcasts, right? Um, so, you know, before you just start one, right, you really do need to understand, should I do one? Um, what are some resources for advisors who want to get more educated about real marketing that you would recommend? Well, there's great resources out there. And before we dive into that, I will just say that I think one um, thing that like bothers me or like it gets me sometimes in this industry because I'm so passionate about financial advisors and wanting to help them grow is there are oftentimes there's, there's, too many people out there that will say like, you have to do this, right? Like you have to be active on social media and it has to be on Facebook, or you have to focus on SEO. That's a big one in the advisor space, or yep. you have to be, and like, listen, you don't have to do anything. You don't, as an advisor, you don't have to do anything. So don't be, when you're navigating through the valley of death as a business owner, you have so many things on your mind. You don't need to add a layer of complexity, which is I have to do what other people are telling me to do from a marketing perspective. You have to do what works for you. Like you have to do what's right. What's like I said at the beginning, like what are your vision? What are your values? Who do you want to serve? How do you serve them? And stay really clear there. And if your hypothesis is that, you know what? Like I'm going to do something totally different than what my peers are doing, then test your hypothesis and don't worry about anybody else. You know, there's so there's almost like too many resources, I think, in the industry that can be a little bit confusing. And there's a lot of surveys that are done by people who aren't actually marketers. And like, it's just, you know, it just can be a lot of noise. And so, you know, I think like that would be a key takeaway that I would hope to be able to impart on, on your listeners, Mark. Um, but I think from a resource perspective, what I would encourage these advisors and advisory firm owners to do is to, um, honestly find a coach because I think having a resource, a coach or a peer accountability group, um, and both mm -hmm. exist within the advisor space, but to be able to sort of, you know, ha not be doing this in a vacuum, um, but to have someone who can help you go through the framework uh, who can ask you the questions that you're maybe that you don't know to ask yourself or that you're not willing to ask yourself or that you're not giving honest answers to um, having someone for you to bounce ideas off of to say, Hey, this sounds weird. And it feels a little bit uncomfortable, but like, what do you think? Um, and so I think that there are a lot of opportunities to do that. I think, you know, attending events um, like wealth management edge and seeking out people who speak to advisors on this topic um, I think is a great resource. I offer free consults. There's a Calendly link uh, that if you get any of my blogs, you can grab 45 minutes on my calendar because I love advisors. And so I offer this on my, on my calendar every week where you can just come for a consult with me where you can do just that. You can ask me questions. You can bounce ideas. I can talk you through the framework. I can ask you the tough questions. I can help point you in the right direction. 
Um, and I think that there are some really great communities, um, study groups that exist within the advisory community, like um, thinking about the limitless advisors or thinking mm -hmm. about within custodians. I mean, Schwab and Pershing and Fidelity and all of them, like they really do offer amazing communities by which you can seek out potentially other advisory firm owners that are equally interested in marketing. Asset managers also put together really great groups. DFA is very well known for having amazing study groups that provide a ton of value. They bring together like-minded advisors. There's a ton of those that exist. Um, so I would say like find a coach or someone who's willing to support you um, and find a group. Um, and when there's, there's so many resources online, Mark, that I could, that I could share, like, obviously like, um, you know, like Michael Kitsis writes a ton about marketing advisor perspectives, always has really great marketing experts sort of penning their own, um, ideas. So does wealthmanagement.com. So like their, their resources are endless. I, I think I'm a little bit gun shy on that one because I, I find that the resources can often become like super overwhelming. Um, yeah. and, and so like, I want to be able to help people focus on like, how can they actually move to action? And I think listening to podcasts, reading articles, um, attending events and virtual or in-person, like that's all really helpful to give you ideas, but what you really need is someone to help you distill through the ideas and figure out what's going to work for you. And so that's why I would recommend some type of like coach or, or peer group. I love the peer accountability idea. Um, I think. For us at Edge, uh, which, Megan, thank you for joining us in advance at our Edge. Mm -hmm. You'll be talking to our audience about this very subject and mm -hmm. others there as well. But we want to be able to bring people together. You know, we didn't formally think of it as a pure accountability group, but we want to be able to share what's working and what isn't in an open forum. Um, so we will absolutely be talking about not just why it's important to prioritize marketing. I think we know it's important, um, but we will be talking about what have we learned um, so, you know, we'll make sure that everybody here, everybody who's listening to this episode has access to not only the high level marketing you know, topics that will be on the agenda at Edge, including the session that you'll be on. Um, but we're going to put your Calendly link right on the, the description of this page, too, so Please people do. can book time with you. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something where we want to make sure that we're not just telling people marketing is important. Uh, we want to make sure that we're connecting our audience with people who can actually help them put one foot in front of the other and ultimately grow. Um, and be as successful as possible. So Megan, I, I can't thank you enough for stopping by the podcast here today. We were joking before we turned the mics on that we could probably do this for a few hours. And I mm -hmm. kid you not, I feel like we barely scratched the surface, but um, I think there was a ton of valuable and practical information in here. So I, I appreciate you taking time out to talk with our audience. I appreciate the invitation. And thank you for putting that link in your show notes. It's the highlight of my week when I get to speak to these <laughs> advisors, truly. So I hope you all uh, yeah, sign and, up. <laughs> and they should, right? And Calendly is a great tactical sort of example of like something that you can do, right? If right. you're going to start a blog, well, why not put a link in there to book some time, right? That's exactly. marketing right there. Um, <laughs> so with that, just a reminder to our audience that if you want to connect with Megan in a face-to-face -face environment, the Wealth Management Edge and RIA Edge Conference is May 21st through May 24th at the Diplomat Hotel in Hollywood, Florida. And you can learn more by going to informaconnect.com slash edge. But again, thank you to everybody for listening here today. Megan, thank you very much for stopping by the RIA Edge podcast. And on behalf of the wealth management team at Informa, I'm Mark Bruno. Thank you very much for stopping by RIA Edge.
Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA benchmarking study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors, such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA benchmarking study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.